Hi, everybody. As many of you know, I am four and a half years sober from alcohol. I have never been quiet about this, and it's a big part of my story. As a result, I love to interview sobriety writers and advocates and others in this field because I think it's something that is so important for us as a society to talk about, to destigmatize, and to bring to the forefront of our consciousness. So today's guest is Erica Barnett. She has a new book coming out, if it's not out already, called Quitter, a memoir of drinking, relapse, and recovery. One in 12 Americans suffers from alcohol use disorder, and the statistics for women continue to increase. That's one in 12 people. That is one in 12, one in 12. The reality of addiction is that many people repeatedly try and fail to quit drinking or using drugs before they're able to finally stay sober. Erica learned this the hard way as she spent years trying to quit drinking, which is a very similar story to mine. Um, I gave up drinking in 2015. I decided I would quit and I did and I never went back. But this untold story of that, and we'll probably talk about it, is the fact that I did try to quit many, many times and was not successful. And that is the story for many people trying to give up alcohol. And so I'm very excited about speaking with Erica today. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode. And in the meantime, if you or someone you know is in need of a sobriety support group, please go to my website, gratefulsobriety.com. I have a free Facebook group that you can join. It's not AA-centric, though anyone from AA is certainly welcome, um, as well as any other sobriety program. We are just a support group, a place to meet with other like-minded individuals, and the only requirement is a desire to be sober. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Erica Barnett. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I'm super excited about our guest today. Erica Barnett is here. Hello. Hello. And I have a copy of your book, which is out very soon, July 7th, I think you said. So very excited about this. Quitter, a memoir of drinking, relapse, and recovery. (laughs) People don't realize, um, well, sober people or people that don't struggle struggle don't realize that relapse and recovery and drinking all go together. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yes, they do. Well, tell us a little bit about your story. And um, I'm four and a half years sober, and I love the way your book starts out. 
It's just, it's so powerful. <laughs> it grabbed me. I was like, oh yes, I know these very well. And I know we have a mutual friend, Sarah Heppola. And I remember the beginning of her book grabbed me because she was talking about walking drunk in high heels. Oh <laughs> my God. Like, oh, yeah. Yes, I know it's, that too. It's such an indelible image. I mean, her whole book is so great. So good. So good. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your story and what led you to write this book. So my story um, is perhaps uh, pretty typical in some ways. I um, started, uh, I drank for the first time when I was 13 years old. Um, and um, I um, was kind of a hyper achiever. And I think, I think you may be the same way, Meredith. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Are you I, saying there's a personality that's drawn to them? <laughs> I, yes. So I was like a very, you know, compulsive, um, straight A student type. I, um, you know, was just one of those kids who excelled in everything that you're supposed to excel in. Um, I did not grow up in a culture of drinking. I'm from a fairly uh, religious um family mm, in, in Mississippi. Now, I did move to Texas um, when I was about uh, eight years old. My family is not is not super religious in Houston, but they are. Um, they don't really drink. It was just never something that was around. But of course, you know, I was like a bad high school kid. And, um, and I was bored. And so <laughs> I started doing drugs. I started drinking. I mean, really, when I was in high school, I was more into drugs than drinking. Mm. But, um, but I, um, I sort of fell into addiction, um, actually, in, and this is why I say it's kind of typical in my 30s. And there's a lot of women I found out in researching this book who become alcoholics and addicts. Um, and those are just my terms. Um, when they're, when they're in their thirties, as opposed to, you know, 14, 15, 22, which is, you know, maybe more typical for a guy. Um, and it really blindsided me. I mean, I was a pretty successful uh, journalist working in alt weeklies. I had moved from uh, Austin where I was working at the Austin Chronicle, uh, which is how I met Sarah Heppola. And, um, I moved out to Seattle. I was 23 and, um, I started working a job at a newspaper where it was just like so much the culture and I've never really been an adult anywhere but Seattle so I don't know <laughs> if this is like if it's like this everywhere but in journalism oh my god like people just drink I mean for any occasion I mean you might go out for lunch and have lunch beers mm. which you know I mean I was a little bit thought was kind of weird at first but then you know you're just like okay this is just what people do and um, as somebody who had always kind of gotten the job I wanted, never gotten, you know, laid off, never gotten fired. I mean, I grew up in like, or I became an adult in a really fortunate time in that, you know, I'm a young Gen Xer and there was, you know, the economy was always pretty good. So, you know, it just didn't occur to me that like there was anything in the world that I couldn't defeat or, you know, get over or get through through willpower. Yeah. And my own personal strength. Well, that was the way we were raised, right? Like you can have everything, you can do it all, you can be it all. Yep. You can, so you can obviously overcome anything. Too. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly, I mean, I thought, you know, it just, it seemed inconceivable to me that like addiction was something that could possibly come into my life. And, um, and it really blindsided me because when I first, and, and the, the name of the book is a memoir of relapse, um, drinking relapse and recovery. 
And um, one of the things that really, I think, shocked me the first time it happened was that it turns out it's actually hard to quit drinking <laughs> when you're addicted to it. Right. Like, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> so, um, so I, when I first started trying to quit, it was 2008. Um, and I have five and a half years sober, so I won't make you do the math. It took me six years. And, um, and the first time, I mean, I went, I went to detox and I thought, well, if I can just get a hard reset, I will be fine. And I thought all I needed to do is just like get through the physical, you know, um, the physical difficulty of, of quitting. Cause by that time it was very, very physically difficult for me to quit drinking. Now, were and you doing, were you drugs still at this no, point? This was just booze. Okay. No, I was just, yeah. I, I, and I was like, I was such a trash drinker. Like I, <laughs> You know, <laughs> I, I was not drinker. Well, so the 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 cover of my book, um, it shows like a um, I think it's like a red wine bottle yeah, on yeah, the ground, yeah. which is kind of what we we um, settled on. But I mean, I was truly like you know, white wine from box, um, yeah. bottom shelf vodka. I mean, I'm a cheap person naturally, but <laughs> like also, I mean, I was drinking by myself. I mean, yeah. it was very much um, an isolating kind of drinking, um, which I think is kind of what it becomes for a lot of people. But, um, but yeah, so I went to, I went to detox, I dried out and I thought that was it. And as it turned out, um, you know, it ended up taking me another six years before I was able to, you know, quit this last time, which I don't, I certainly don't think, you know, means that I can never, that I will never drink again because I have to be vigilant about that yeah. every day. Do you find it, still hard? I don't find it hard not to drink. Yeah. Um, I don't find that hard at all. Um, I did for maybe the first six months in a way, like I had to avoid certain situations. Yeah. And they do teach you that. I mean, I, I went to rehab twice and they're really, really big into the idea of relapse prevention and avoiding triggers and things like that. And, um, and I talk in the book about this. I mean, I, I think that's really useful to know like, okay, well, maybe I won't go to the grocery store alone for a while. Right. And maybe I'll have somebody I can call. And maybe I won't go to, you know, restaurants and bars where there's like a lot of liquor bottles displayed. But, and I, and I did that, but like, ultimately, I mean, the thing that, the thing that I learned about relapse is that you need to know how to deal with it when it happens. Because if you don't, you might end up being like me <laughs> and thinking, well, it's another thing I failed at and I oh, might as well yeah. just keep failing, you know? Right. And I think that's what keeps people out for a long time when they, um, when they start drinking or using drugs or whatever, again, is they're just like, well, screw that up. You know, might as well take another year before I start trying to get my act together again. Right. Right. And it's interesting each time you relapse, at least for me, it was longer and longer periods. I felt like, and and each relapse was worse. You know, it's like the drinking worse. got so much worse. And I had a conversation with a friend recently, and I said, you know, I feel like I could have a glass of wine. And she's like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> and she told me a story about a friend of hers who was sober like twenty years, and she got her kids out of the house, and she was like, well, I'm just gonna have. I feel like I can have a glass, you know, the big lie. Right. Mm -hmm. And she did. And it was like rock bottom times 4,000 
times the worst ever 20 years later mm-hmm. um and i can see that happening and there's thunder outside so if you're wondering what, oh. <laughs> what that sound, there's, there's thunder um but yeah and that's how it started to get with me like i would go a couple days a week or two and then i would go back to drinking and it would just be worse mm-hmm. and and heavier and more and more and more and yeah that's that's the interesting thing about relapse it's like oh yeah well i think and i think like we we think that there's this thing called rock bottom that you hit and then like and then that's like it and the angels like come down (laughs) from the heavens and like lift you up and you kind of have this revelation and like i had that revelation so many times right and and like you said every single time i mean it was worse it was just it just got like i've First, I, you know, lost like my some friends and then I lost a boyfriend and then I had to move out of where I was living. And then, you know, eventually I lost my job and I still didn't get it, you know, because I don't think it's like I don't think it's like a message, you know, I think it's just like this is a relapsing disease and relapse is, is a symptom. Well, and the the part in your book about when you're going back to cl- pick up the stuff from your job where you've been fired and like you just can't even get your act together enough to pick up your stuff. And I yeah. mean, everyone who has been really inebri- inebriated or has had a drinking <laughs> problem knows this. Like I, I went to instantly to this part of my life where I was in the middle of having a conversation and I had to get like um, all these records together to talk to someone and I was so blasted and I couldn't do it and I was just in my office like and nothing made sense but that's that was the memory I had when you were talking about picking up your stuff from your job and you like couldn't decide what to keep and (laughs) yeah no it's horrible right I mean it's just like you just feel like so incapacitated and it's like right (laughs) and it's like okay and I did this to myself voluntarily you know (laughs) right um Oh yeah, that was like that. And, and I think that chapter is called rock bottom. I, or maybe it's just the prologue. I can't remember. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and that was like so far from the rock bottom, from the rock bottom. Right. Right. And so like, what was the proverbial, I, let's not call it rock bottom, but the, the moment where you're like, I gotta be done. Cause for me, it was, I was sitting in a target parking lot. I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't drunk. <laughs> But I distinctly remember being in my car in a parking lot and I had this feeling that I was not going to live. I wasn't going to be alive in a year. Like Mm -hmm. I just had this feeling that was like, Hey, you're going to be dead in a year. if You don't get your act together. And it was so profound internally and so real that that was the moment I, I was done. Like, well, I wasn't done right then, but I picked a date, which was like a few days away. And that was my date. And, and I, that was the moment for me. It actually wasn't a rock bottom. It was the foreshadowing of what was to come. Yeah, that that's exactly it. that's exactly what happened to me too. I mean, I wasn't in a parking lot. I was like in my apartment, and I and I was like, you know, my story is also, I think, a little more of a low quote unquote low bottom um, than um, than a lot of women's that you read. I mean, I really was when I say I was a trash drinker. Like, I sort of joke about that, but I mean, I was like, there's a story in the book about you know, I was like driving in a blackout down the freeway in Houston, like it, you know, God knows how fast. I don't remember any of it. I was trying to get to the airport. I went the wrong way, woke up in the back of like a Walmart parking lot. And, um, and so there was like all kind, and that was like years before I got sober. Wow. And, um, and so there was, there was all these different 
points where you would think I would get it. But what actually happened was I just, I like woke up one morning and I, um, and I, I was a morning drinker by the end, like for, for a couple years. And, um, and I, um, I went and I got like some wine to drink or whatever, and just to kind of get rid of the shakes. And, um, and I got home and I just had this thought, um, that was, you know, like you said, like, I'm done. It wasn't even like, I know I'm going to be dead in a year. It was like, well, <laughs> I sort of have two options. I'm going to be dead eventually at some point sooner than I want to be, or I can uh, do something about this. And so I'd been to rehab twice already. And I was like, well, <laughs> I, I really think that people who go to rehab 20 times, like maybe it saves their life in the immediate moment, but I don't think that you're going to learn anymore from rehab after a few times. Yeah. And so I went to detox and I like, I got, um, I called around, I got in that day, but I was like pretty convinced, you know, that so I would for be- anyone who doesn't know the difference between oh, detox yes. and rehab, what's the difference? Yeah. So detox is a, um, a medical, uh, facility basically that you go to for a few days. And, um, when you are in withdrawal from alcohol in particular, um, but this is also true for other drugs like opiates to some extent, benzos and, Anyway, you have to medically detox because if you just quit cold turkey, you can have seizures, um, which I was starting to, I think, have. Whoa. And yeah. And like, and I had You're DTs. Like, oh, it's just a mild seizure. It's fine. I mean, but like you've met people who are like that, right? Yeah. And were like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I had like 10 seizures and then, you Right. Know? Right. Um, and, you know, and I had, I had DTs. I was having like pretty intense hallucinations. I mean, it was like. And again, like none of this was like a sign that I absolutely had to do something until it was. <laughs> right. And, and this day, I mean, yeah, it was just like a normal, um, I don't remember what day of the week it was. I didn't have a job, so it didn't matter. And I went into detox. Rehab is a longer term program. Um, by the way, it's more like you don't, it's usually you go there after detox and you spend like 28 days kind of cut off from the rest of the world to try to learn skills so that you can stay sober when you go back out. But, um, so, so yeah, so I caught a cab, um, I called a cab and took the cab across town. This was like in the days when cabs still existed, kind of, <laughs> and, um, paid him with a check because all my credit <laughs> cards bounced. And I was like, I was like, I promise you my unemployment is coming in on whatever day. And here's like 50 extra bucks. Like, please let me out of this cab. And, um, and so I stayed there for five days and, I, um, and I knew I was done. Like it was just this profound, like you said, this profound feeling where you just kind of realize like, nope, like that is it. And whatever I have to do, I will do. Yeah. It's so weird. It's so, so weird. I remember telling my husband, I was like, I think I've got Parkinson's and he's like, (laughs) Parkinson's. I'm like, yeah, look at my, my hands are starting to shake. Oh, and no. I, so I, I was drinking so heavily and I, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be one of the one, you know, 0.8% of people that get Parkinson's at 35. Right. <laughs> I mean, it couldn't be the alcohol. And he's like, and that was like the first time he said, maybe it's because you're drinking so much. And I was like, 
No, it's probably Parkinson's. It's probably Parkinson's. <laughs> and yeah. So now the other night I was sitting here and my hands started shaking. I was like, oh, well, is it, it actually might be Parkinson's now because <laughs> I'm not drinking. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we start to do those things or like I developed diverticulitis really bad and then I had shingles break out and I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but like everything so started to shut down. Like, yeah. My system, because I was doing iron, I was doing like long distance triathlons at the time too. So I was putting all this tremendous stress on my body then following each ride with like a burger you know fries and then like three bottles of wine or whatever right yeah but it didn't ever occur to me that none of this was the booze no i had the same thing i had so many mystery ailments right like i i developed um psoriasis which you know is 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 something that is just like it's a genetic disorder but it had never manifested before I had like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, at the end, I was throwing up every day, too. And I just thought, you know, I had ulcers. Um, there was one point um, where I thought I was having a heart attack. And I went into, you know, the emergency room and was like, I am having a heart attack, you need to let me in right now. And um, it is, you know, if you get to that point where you're like, actually talking to the medical professionals, and they find out that, uh, and they ask you about your drinking, and if you're honest, they treat you in a really different way. And it's like, it's it's like you can just see their attitude kind of change in their faces. In what way? Like they're just you know like oh it's another one of these. Oh yeah, like they're sort of hopeless. Way. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. So that was that was another kind of interesting experience when I realized like oh like I'm just being treated as like a hopeless, pointless case. And you're like, have you seen my trash booze that I have in my car? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it just like reinforces it. I mean, it's such a, but that's the whole thing. It's this horrible cycle. It's this stigma and it just feeds itself. And then you're a trash drinker, and, but then you are, <laughs> but you don't want to be, you want, you know, yeah. and it's like, how do you get out of it? And so you went to detox this, this last time. And, and then what was it like after that? Uh, it was weird. Um, you know, the, um, the thing about getting sober and then you, you probably know this too, like it does take your brain a while to really bounce back completely. But, um, but at the same time, it's like, everything is really raw. It's like every nerve is just kind of on the surface and you feel like you want to numb it, but you don't have the thing that you can numb it with anymore. And so you just yeah. have to kind of experience every feeling in this way that you have not had to for a long time. So I felt really raw. When I first went back out into the world, um, one thing I did is I had been kind of avoiding this for or trying to do everything but um, go to AA. And I was just like, okay, well, <laughs> I've tried literally everything else. And a lot of those things were really helpful. Like cognitive behavioral therapy is like incredibly helpful. Um, and I think like a lot of the things that I had kind of learned through um going to, you know, going to therapy, going to other types of recovery groups were really helpful. But anyway, I was like, fine, I'll go to AA. <laughs> so I, um, I just went in and I was like, well, I'm unemployed. So I have no reason, no excuse. I have plenty of reasons, but I have no good excuse not to go to a meeting every day, at least one. And so I just dragged myself and I was like, this is really unpleasant and uncomfortable and I don't like it. And, you know, I hate all these people and they're so happy and it just, you know, it makes me furious, but I, but it's, but what's worse is waking up every day and being sick. Mm. And so I'm going to, instead of that, I'm going to do this other thing that also sucks. 
And so, um, so I did that. I went to meetings. I talked about myself. I got a sponsor. I started doing the steps. And um, I should say, like, I'm not an evangelist for AA by any means. Um, I am not a regular AA goer now. Um, but, but I will say, um, some people really get a lot out of going for the rest of their lives. And, um, it also saved my life. I mean, it really did. Right. Well, and I think it's really interesting too, because I did not, I went to AA in like 2004 when I had like one year of sobriety. Um, and then I had no years for a decade, but, um, I did not do any of the steps. I just quit drinking and proceeded with my life. And Mm -hmm. interestingly, come year like three of sobriety, I'm like, oh, I probably need to do some of that work (laughs) because, you know, if you just go cold turkey and you think your life's going to be better, it is. It's exponentially better sober. But the reason that you started drinking in the first place or the the reason you drink every day is still there because you haven't done the steps and you haven't figured out where it's coming from and you haven't made amends and, you know, all of that. And so I'm... I'm spending my time now turning on to year five, starting to work the steps. And I'm not going to AA, but really no one is right now at the moment. But I, I started yeah. with Russell Brand's book, Recovery, because mm-hmm. it spoke to me in a way that perhaps traditionally AA had not. Think Because the addiction for me, I realized it was so deep. It had nothing to do with alcohol that just I'm an addict. If I can mm-hmm. pick a substance or a person or a habit, I will just do it yeah. <laughs> to excess. It can Same. be like clipping my toenails. Like maybe I should clip <laughs> my toenails every day for till they're bleeding and I'm, you know, behind a Walmart. <laughs> right. I mean, it doesn't even matter. I'll just pick up a habit and do it to excess. And so learning that I have to go through those steps in some yeah. regard, I think is important. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think like in a weird way, I mean, I say this to my boyfriend all the time um, because, you know, he's like one of these guys, it's like, I don't need to go to therapy and I don't need, and you know, and I think he bottles a lot of stuff. And I was, you know, and I was saying, you know, I kind of feel sorry for people that don't have some kind of program like that, that involves like, I mean, the main things that, that, you know, that I think are important are, um, figuring out what your resentments are about mm-hmm. and then um, figuring out who you're mad at and figuring <laughs> out what your part in it is. Yes. And like, it's not just writing down all your resentments. It's like writing down what your part was and, right. and then making amends. And like, I mean, making amends is so powerful um, and it's terrifying. I mean, I don't know if you've gotten to that point yet, but I've done it through another program. So I've, uh-huh. I've gone through, um, the Handel group, they have a program called Enter You where you make a list of all your lies mm, and you mm-hmm. tell your lies. It, it's basically another form of a recovery program just for sober people, really, for for humans, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I haven't made amends in the way that AA prescribes it, but I've done some of the amend making like mm-hmm. with my parents and all. And yeah, totally mind blowing to, yeah. to do that. Yeah, I I cannot. I mean, I can't tell you. It's just it's crazy. Like with my dad, for example, I mean, you know, we never we never talked about anything real or, you know, um, I mean, we were just had this very surface relationship for a very long time. And I think making that amend to him, it was one of the first ones where I just kind of called him and I was like, hey, dad, here's all the ways that I screwed up. And the most important part um, of the amend process is saying, you know, not here's what I'm going to do better, but what would you like me to do? 
Like, how can I, how can I help you in the way that you want to be helped? Or how can I be a better daughter in the way that you want me to? And, um, man, that just any, you know, he was like, I, I don't know, I guess I just want you to call me and tell me like, what's actually going on in your life. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, wow. And then you just, I mean, it helps, but then you just feel like a shit. <laughs> it's like, oh, you and, just wanted me to call you? Jeez. I mean, oh, okay. honestly, like you have to put so much stuff in the past. Yeah. And that's also like part of it. It's like, you know, all that stuff is done. And like my dad was telling me today, I called him today's Father's Day when we're recording this. And um, I called him um, and I said, um, you know, and, and he had gotten the book and my mom told me she couldn't read it. And my dad had read it and he had texted me and he's like, it's good. And, um, and, uh, and, but, but we were like able to talk about the book that I wrote. That's really personal. And that like yeah. my parents are all over it. I mean, it's dedicated to them. Um, and, and my best friend, uh, as well. And, uh, and we were able to just like talk about the book and it's shockingly, I can't talk about it with my mom cause she's just too, you know, attached to it. But I, you know, I asked my dad, I was like, so how were you able to read it? And he's like, well, it's all in the past, you know, mm. and I don't think we're going back there. So yeah. it's, he can kind of read it a little bit dispassionately. Yeah. And that's so important to realize too, because if you spend any time with regret, it will just spiral. Oh, There's yeah. literally nothing you can do about 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> that's such a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Or one second ago. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, um, yeah, letting go of, um, letting go of regret and guilt and shame are just such like, I wouldn't be sober if I hadn't been able to do that. Yeah. Cause that's what it's really about for me. It's like feeling, you know, I drank because I felt shame. I mean, I initially drank cause I was insecure about absolutely everything about myself. And then, um, I continued drinking because I was ashamed of the way that I acted when I drank. Right. It just builds on itself. That it was just builds what, on itself. That's what I was going to ask you. Why did you know what is the wound that caused you to drink in the first place? And you think it was insecurity? I think it was insecurity. I mean, I am an only child. Um, oh, like me I said, too. I was, oh, <laughs> also loneliness. Let's add that to the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I um, so I just um became. I, I was really insecure in my own skin my whole life. I mean, I felt like, oh my God, like I'm like a nerd or I'm not cool. And then, you know, I was working when I really started drinking, I was working at a place where I thought everybody was like insanely cool. And I thought, you know, and I'm like a city hall reporter, which believe me, no one cares about. <laughs> and um, as much as I try to get them to, and um, it's not cool. And I wasn't cool. And I was just I was always afraid of saying the wrong thing. And I thought that drinking kind of made it easier to say the right thing, which is like, which is crazy to think about now. I mean, I am so much more comfortable talking to people now um, than I ever was when I was drinking. Cause Oh my God. Like, you can just say the dumbest stuff. The whole time I was drinking, I would sit there and think, I'm so glad I'm drinking. So I feel comfortable. But the whole time Same. I'm having that, I'm like sweating profusely and I'm like not comfortable at all. But I had this like dueling consciousness telling me, good thing you're drinking. So you're comfortable. But my actual instinct was I'm dying here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Weird. Same. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that, yeah, I think that was like, I mean, if there was like a wound, I mean, cause you know, my, my family was great. I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, they're very strict. I grew up in the eighties and nineties, you know, I was like typical latchkey kid. 
Um, but, um, I think I just didn't know how to be around people. Mm. I, I mean, it just, I just thought everybody was better than me. And, um, mm. you know, and so a lot of, a lot of like my sort of healing process has been about self-acceptance and, um, and it hasn't actually been that hard once I stopped drinking. <laughs> like it's, right. it's, it's just, um, it's just funny. I mean, you, you kind of get away from yourself for so long and you just don't really know who you are anymore. And it feels scary to try to be yourself. Right. And, then, and then you realize it's, it's actually, it's a lot easier than trying to fake it all the time. Right. It's, it's, it's a lot easier than trying to pretend like you're sober at a party. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I is mean, really I mean, hard. I would, I would do stuff like, you know, when I would go, when I was first kind of um, really starting to drink, problematically I, would, I used to go out to bars all the time um and uh and i would like keep a extra bottle of vodka in my purse so that i could Just drink in case the, the bar same. ran out of booze right no i mean because i because i didn't want anybody to know that right. like i had this high tolerance or that I, you know i don't know like I yeah. was afraid that like i wouldn't be as drunk as everybody else if i was just drinking as much as they were and you wouldn't and, have been because i wouldn't either i mean exactly two glasses of wine and we're just, I mean, I'm sorry. We're just getting started. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and it, and yeah, and it makes you like kind of restless. Cause you're like watching, you know, you're right. watching everybody else's glasses and seeing, I mean, it's just, it's so much work. It's so cagey. You're just like, so cagey. Like, you know, what's everyone doing? And, um, I remember when we would go out, my husband would be like, can you like keep it to two glasses, two drinks? I'm like, sure. And I'm like, no way, <laughs> you know, no way, no way would I go anywhere with a two drink limit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going. <laughs> I'll stay home. But yeah, but I would get that way, you know, and sometimes we would have to keep it to two and, but I would feel like cagey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would have to bring my own like you did. You were ahead of me. <laughs> Should have done that. Gone to the yeah. bathroom. Helpful, helpful <laughs> tips for hitting rock bottom sooner, right. I guess. <laughs> well, so what do you hope that people will get out of your book? Like, who's your audience? Is it us who are in recovery to go, yeah, solidarity, been there, done that? <laughs> or is this to, you know, who do you hope reads it? I mean, I definitely hope that people in recovery do read it because um, I think, you know, even if you're, if you're in recovery or if you're struggling, um, I think that the one of the messages of the book is that if you relapse, it's not the end. Mm. And it certainly wasn't for me. And I, I do think that like, if you go to recovery group meetings, or you know, a lot of people who are sober, you will know a lot of people who've relapsed, and they, they usually will talk about it. But it's just not a narrative that you see out there very often. Um, and that is one of the reasons I decided to write the book is I was frustrated with this narrative that like, especially women, you know, you hit a high bottom, um, meaning like, you know, um, people at your work start being concerned about you or your husband says, you know, I really think you should quit drinking and you do. And that's the end. And it's like happily ever after. Right. Um, and I don't mean to denigrate people whose story that is, but I think there's also this other story, which is, you know, those of us that like just cannot get it for a while. Right. And um, so I want people in recovery to read it. I want people who um, know someone who is struggling and people who are still struggling. I mean, I remember when I was um, not even close to getting sober, 
one of the things I did all the time was read um, memoirs of people who had gotten sober. I mean, that yeah, was like my favorite genre. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I loved uh, like Augustine Burroughs dry. And yes, I, that, is, I, that was one of my favorites. Oh, so good. And I gave it to my mom to read. She was like, this makes me sad. Is this how you are? <laughs> and I remember thinking, and, and this is before I quit. And I thought, oh yeah, I can't tell you anything ever yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. This makes me I, sad. <laughs> I read, um, I read the night of the gun, like, I don't know how I many times. That. And, um, and you know, and I've read Drinking a Love Story, just yes, all of them. That was a good one too. So I have a whole shelf that's just, you know, recovery memoirs. So, you know, I, I hope that actually people who are not sober yet, but want to get sober at some point, read this and realize like, you know, you can just try and, right. and it's okay to just try. And sometimes that means that you don't stay sober but you're going to learn something, you know, I mean, ideally in an ideal world, everyone who wants to be sober could just make a decision, snap their fingers. There'd be no, you know, rehab or detox or anything, but it just doesn't work that way for a right. lot of people. And well, so, yeah, yeah, I just want to give a little hope to those people. I was part of that narrative for a while, unknowingly, because I did pick a sober date and I was like, boom, done. Mm -hmm. And, but then I, when I started getting interviewed about it, I thought, wait a minute. No, I didn't just wake up one day and decide to be sober. I, you know, developed shingles, which <laughs> swelled, swelled one side of my face and I had diverticulitis and like all this stuff led to it. And I wanted to quit and I would mm -hmm. get a few days, but I never just, yeah, I didn't just wake up one day and it stuck. It was, it was a 15 year battle before it stuck, you know? And so I think that's so important about what you've written about for people to realize that. Cause you're right. There's not, relapse seems to be a theme, but it's kind of buried in, in recovery memoirs. Like mm -hmm. it's not brought to the surface like yours does. So I think that's a great, great thing you're doing with this book. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you. So how are you feeling <laughs> pre-publication? Little jittery? Um, you know, it's so, I just got the actual books, um, the final edition yeah. um, this week. I, Honestly, my life has changed so much since I got the book deal. And like, I mean, not because of it, but just in, it's been a while. It's been like, I don't know, more than three years. And so, oh, wow. yeah, it's a long process. And, um, and so, you know, I'm not actually jittery because my life has just gotten so much better and more stable. <laughs> um, strangely, like given that we're like talking on zoom and we're all trapped in our houses yeah. and, you know, everything feels kind of scary and weird. Um, I, um, yeah, I'm not jittery. I spent some time kind of feeling like I need to push this book out into the world as hard as I can, because I want to like, force people to read it, you know, in my mind, like that's <laughs> my, I have this, this amazing power to do that. And, um, and now, you know, I'm kind of come to the point where I'm like, you know, it's, it's going to go out into the world. And um, hopefully, it will be received well. And that's kind of where I'm at. You know, yeah. I've done everything I can. And, uh, and now it's like, you know, it's up to it's up to the world and, and right. the quality of the book. Well, you're very wise, because I had the vision of pushing my book to everyone. Mine came out December 19th this past year. Oh, congratulations. And so I was stuck in that mindset. And then my book tour was in, canceled in the middle of COVID, right? Same. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so then I was like, but I was secretly really glad I didn't have to go anywhere else. 
Oh, that's so funny. Like, I, I was like, been... I was so looking forward to it. Well, but... I did it. So I had, you know, you know, publishers, they give you like a little bit of money to go like three places and then mm -hmm. that's it. Well, I had planned like 20 cities, you know? Oh, wow. And, and it had spread out over like four months. And so by the time COVID hit in March, I was disappointed because my big like New York City one was that week and at Barnes and Noble and Union Square and I didn't get to go to that. But part of me was oh, like, man. I'm really tired of talking about this book. No one likes it. I'm going into a hole. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> like, that was the narrative. I'm like, it's fine. I'm done. And now what? I'm like itching to get back out. And now it's too late because it's like seven months published. <laughs> no well, one cares. So, yeah, the, the timing of this like yeah. could not have been. I mean, I guess it actually could have been worse. It could have come out in like April. Right. But um, but yeah, I mean, any, any appearances I wanted to do are off. And then I found out, um, I'm, I'm doing my launch, um, with a local bookstore and, um, this, uh, nonprofit called Town Hall. And they went on furlough for oh, no. right before my launch was scheduled. So it's, you know, we rescheduled it for a little bit earlier and it'll be fine. But it's just like, it just feels, I guess probably every author feels this way right yeah. now, which is like, it just feels cursed. It feels <laughs> like, cursed. Man. And it feels like, uh, I don't know, but you're, you're going to be fine. It's going to be great. I, you know what? <laughs> and it is also like, I feel like such a jerk even like saying that because it's like, there are so many bigger problems in the world than like my little book and my little book tour and me wanting to go celebrate I myself. Know, but it's but, still hard. You've been working on something for three years and it's like, okay, now's the time. <laughs> I mean, just to, I, I don't know. I, yes, there are bigger problems, but I'm not going to diminish how it feels because I've been closely been there. where you are. And I'm like, it really sucks. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it does. <laughs> well, okay. Everyone, Quitter, A Memoir of Drinking, Relapse, and Recovery. This is Erica Barnett. Thank you so much. I wish you. you the best of luck and um, look very forward to hearing how the book does. I'm sure it will be absorbed by all the people that love the Quitlet that need it and it's going to do great. Thank you. <laughs> well, take care and take care. good luck with everything. Thanks. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours. Remember to rate review and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.